It's Monday night, ladies and gentlemen. Which this is the Anglo-Italian pod with our Monday. Before I introduce all that room, remember to follow us on Twitter at Instagram at Anglo-Italian pod. As always, a co-host, Mister Rory. Hello. Sorry, I was waiting for you to say my name. I'm here, everybody. And we are, of course, who else are we joined by? Joined by uh, Happy Hammer. Mr. Todd, how are you doing? I like the smile on your face. Since about 6.30 yesterday evening. It's really loving it, so it's a great time for me to be on the pod. Thanks for inviting me, guys. Anytime, man. Anytime you want. Also, you listeners, whenever you have thoughts about your team, whether after a great win, like in Tom's case, feel free to deal. We'll invite you officially to the pod. Uh, Premier League review, Serie A review, but since I think there is only one place to start, <laughs> Rory, I will let you, I will leave you the honor of the introduction. Well, here we go. So we're going to look through the Premier League. And of course, as Tommy said, there is only one place to start. The London Stadium on Sunday evening. I think last time when I talked to Tom before the game, you were a little bit nervous, right? A little bit worried about yeah. what was going to happen. Did you see that coming? And how great does it feel to beat Liverpool? Um, I kind of, I, I, I think I would have taken a draw probably before the game. Um, last season against Liverpool was very, very disappointing, actually, because we were in good form. They weren't so well and we kind of just rolled over for them and made it quite easy but this mm. this uh this time it was absolutely exceptional but we're in a position at the moment where i wouldn't bet against us against anybody i feel that mm. confident about it now which is very unheard of as a west ham supporter <laughs> but it's uh, yeah it was just incredible the lads were all brilliant it was just an unreal all-round performance i think and much deserved win where did you get to watch the the game tom um I was, as I was saying to Rory, I think before we started recording, I was uh, actually on a stag do all weekend. So it was one of those uh, Sunday afternoon lulls after two or three nights of constant drinking. <laughs> so uh, we were just sat around a table with a few of my mates, just kind of trying not to fall asleep um, whilst we were watching the game. But as soon as the West Ham game started, obviously I was very much awake and uh, partaking in it, especially sitting as a Liverpool fan sat next to me the whole time as well. So it was a uh, very, very enjoyable. And then, uh, basically watched the game and then came home. So it's a nice end to the weekend for me. No, so, very, very quickly before I let you guys really dive into the, into the issue. West Ham, after 11 games, seven wins, two draws yeah. and two losses, 23 goals scored, 13 goals against. That makes them the third best attack in the league. 23 points on even with uh, Manchester City, who are currently second, and only three points off top. Can yeah. we talk about a title challenge? <laughs> this is my this is my question, and I will let you guys just bask into it. Um, from my perspective, I think a title challenge is a little bit premature 11 games <laughs> in um but certainly i think as the first like 10 11 games i think we're one of the best teams in the league um i think if we if we have a good run with injuries and we don't specifically with rice and antonio there's absolutely no reason why we can't sustain um where we are now and potentially push for top four and then maybe even have a late rush towards the end of the season. You never know with what happened with Leicester a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um but I think title's probably a bit far, but I think we do have a solid chance at top four if we can keep the key players fit. Well, so I was looking at the odds, it's only sixty six to one for West Ham to uh yeah. to win the title. So not worth might maybe worth uh, piling on. But yeah, I think we should talk I think we should talk about the game a little bit. So West Ham got onto a got off to a really bright start. Now somewhat uh, Steve has just jumped in the comments saying I didn't like Klopp's attitude after the game. Now we know yeah. Klopp is a notoriously bad loser, but what did you think about the goal? I thought it was fairly innocuous from Ogbonna and he was just going for Yeah, the ball. I think he just jumped for the ball. He didn't back into the keeper. He didn't push the keeper. He just jumped up to challenge for the ball, which is which is fair enough. It's his right. But you you never know really with those situations because keepers get a bit too much protection than they perhaps should do, I think, sometimes. If you go anywhere near the keeper, especially when he's jumping for the ball, the refs do quite often. Uh, back them up, but I didn't think there was anything in that fall at all. Aguano just made a legitimate um, play for the ball, and um, I think Klopp and Allison were just clutching at straws, really, in that instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And, yeah, um, and after that, I think I don't know what you thought, but I think West Ham maybe they didn't quite know what to do after scoring so early. Yeah, and they I don't think we were very good in the negative. first half. The first half, there wasn't they, they didn't play very well. I don't think, and mm. they only they only really came out to play again after. Um, after uh, Alexander Arnold scored, I mm. thought we let Liverpool. I thought I didn't think Liverpool looked like scoring a goal really, but they had a lot of the ball. They looked like they were potentially going to go up a couple of gears and start penetrating, and which 
Well, they eventually got a goal from a set piece. Um, I don't think we looked like conceding, but we were very kind of slow, slow to get forward in the first half after we scored, which would have been quite worrying if we carried on in the second half. But thankfully, after that point, we managed to pick up the tempo and we uh, gave as good as we got at the very least for the rest of the game, which was really pleasing to see. Definitely. Now, there was a decision that maybe West Ham were quite lucky with. What did you make of the Cresswell tackle? I thought he was um, very lucky to stay on the pitch. Yeah, I thought it was one of those that I think it's probably, it wouldn't have got overturned either way. I think if the mm. ref had sent him off, he wouldn't have overturned it. But I also think it's one of those ones that probably looks, I don't think there was a lot of force in it. And it was also made a lot worse because his foot slipped over the ball as he as he mm. went over. But yeah, his foot was probably a bit too high, but I think he was just about got away with it because he kind of slipped on the ball and he got the mm. ball first. And I don't think there was a lot of force in it either. I think there was another challenge over the weekend, wasn't there? It was, uh, was um, it the similar. Holgate one. Yeah, it was that was similar, but there was a mm. lot more kind of oomph in that one, I think, yeah. and there's a lot more risk to the player. And that's where I think Cressel's probably just about got away with that one. But yeah, I think it's just one of those that's about 50-50. I don't, if he'd mm. sent him off, I don't think VIR would have overturned it. But yeah. but I also don't think it was that bad. But I could have seen why he could have been sent off as well. It's one of those tricky ones, I think. Rory, <laughs> I think yeah, no, sorry, yeah. my internet is coming and going, guys. You know my internet yeah. is terrible. But we should actually move on to the second half, and this is why West Ham really came into their own. The yeah. counter attacks were absolutely clinical, and you probably could have had a few more. Like Antonio, kind of. There was a few where he was through on goal, his touch let him down. Yeah. Like, how has David Moyes improved this team from last year? Yeah, well, I think Van Dyke <laughs> saved Liverpool two or three times when he, like, he, obviously just because he's, he's so good. Um, mm. But it's, I think, yeah, they, they, I mean, Klopp, Klopp uh, was a bit uh, bitter about it after the game. He said it was like back to being the old West Ham again and stuff. But I, I think that's that's really, really unfair on, mm. on the tactics Moyes put in place. I think we had like 31% possession of the game, but we, we had as many clear-cut chances as Liverpool had. They might have had more shots, but we, we certainly created as many clear-cut chances as them, if, if not more. Uh, and the way that Moyes has kind of developed the team over over his like two years in charge and kind of works on the transitions of pay, works on set pieces, goes from front to back incredibly quickly, um, just kind of like gets the... And then you see the attacking players, as soon as we lose the ball and the other team turn it over, they're all coming back and they're mm. all getting behind and in shape again. But then when we won the ball back, we've quickly got four or five men in the other team's half. So it just seems to have the, have the balance absolutely perfect. And from, from listening to what the players are saying when they're in interviews and listening to kind of what other fans are saying and what pundits are saying, it's all kind of stemming from Moyes and his backroom team. He, he's actually got the players completely drilled and he's got them all pulling in the right direction. And, and his recruitment policy second time round since he came back has been absolutely impeccable. He's been signing mm. players, not only with the ability, because signing players with abilities probably the easy bit, but he's been signing players with kind of the right mentality and the right kind of work ethic and players that'll fit into the team. So we've not we've not got anybody in the team at the moment that's not playing for the team or mm-hmm. even the players that are on the bench, they all seem kind of quite comfortable being on the bench coming in for the cup games or coming coming on the bench and influencing the game that way. So it's he's just created a really, really positive ethos to go with him being a very, very good coach. Mm-hmm. Um it, He's just been—he's just been absolutely amazing. Considering not many fans really wanted him, including myself, he's—he's yeah. um, he's certainly turned everyone round. It's probably, in fact, it definitely is the best time to be a West Ham fan in my lifetime in terms of kind of consistency and performance mm-hmm. and league position and everything else. Wow! So he's—he's uh, he's been incredible, really. And two out of three goals came out from corner kicks. So is, yeah. there, is this been a, a strength of yours? You mentioned the set pieces. Is yeah. this uh, one of the one of the, I don't know, one of the strengths of West Ham this season? Yeah, it's, a, it's something that they work on a lot, I think. And last season, I think they they scored the most goals in the league from set pieces. Um, and I think they just work on it a lot. They've got He's brought Kevin Nolan in his backroom staff. And I think him and uh, Pat Nevin, who's one of the other coaches, I think they work kind of really hard on set pieces and, and kind of positioning and, and and but then I think I think Moy said it himself yesterday. I think he said, I mean, the main thing is you've got people that can put a whip a good cross in, and you've got players like um, Bono, you've got Dawson, you've got Antonio, you've got Suchet, even even Rice now. Players who want to get into the box and really really attack the ball and with with intent. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds quite simple, but 
a lot of players don't do that. A lot of players will just wait for it to come on them onto the head, whereas our players are kind of attacking the ball and really kind of making the most of those set pieces, which is which is amazing to see, really, because it gives us multiple ways of being able to score goals, especially against a team like Liverpool, where you're not going to have loads of the ball. Is Angelo Ogbonna going to go down in West Ham's history, mm-hmm. in your opinion? After so long, it feels like, I, I don't know, I remember him when he played in Italy. He's an Italian yeah. national, of course. Then he was kind of like chased out of the country after a few, a few bad seasons with Juventus, I want to I say. He had a slow yeah. start at West Ham, but now he's been there for quite some time. So do you think he's yeah. going to be, he's become a household name for the Hammers? Yeah, he's certainly a fan's favourite. And, and even in... Um... Even last season, when we were really, obviously, really good, um, I think until he got injured, he got, I think he got injured in like February, met uh, February, March time. Um, I think he was probably very, very close, if not probably the favourite to be the player of the season at that point. Oh obviously, he then got surpassed a little bit because he missed quite a big chunk at the end of the season. But um, yeah, he's he's um, he's been a revelation certainly in the last two or three years. I think there was a period, he started off reasonably well and then there was kind of a period where he was a bit dodgy, a bit unreliable on the ball and a little bit ropey. Um, but he, in the last two or three years, he's been impeccable. He's been our best defender, one of our best players, certainly. So yeah, he's going to go down as a, certainly a fan's favourite. And if he sticks around for another couple of years, even go far as say as a, as a legend, because he has been, um, has been really good. And he's also popped up with some very important goals over the years for us as well. Yeah, Ogbonna L'Angelo Nero was his nickname, <laughs> yeah. the Black Angel, because his name is Angelo. Um, you, there is a question for you, Tom, from the Hopeless Wanderer pod. They ask, "Does do you feel David Moyes can progress West Ham? I feel this was the thing he struggled to progress with Everton beyond challenging for top four. What do you think? Um, I think he, I think he's progressed us an exceptional amount since he's come in. We've gone from two years ago we were relegation fodder when not, it's not exaggeration we were in the bottom three when he came in mid, midway through the season so he kept us up and then obviously last season was incredible finished sixth only two points off the top four and this season kind of as i said before i think if if we have a lucky run with injuries especially with antonio and rice because they're the two we can't replace mm. um I, I think we'll have a really good shot at top four this season whether he can push us on beyond that to like a, a title challenge i think that's probably a step too far, I'd say at the moment, but it's looking like there might be some more investment coming into the club soon. Mm-hmm. So if they if they back Moyes further and he continues with his recruitment um, policy, which has been really really good, bringing in the right players for the right money, right mentality, all that other stuff I was talking about before, then why not? But I think right now that's anything beyond a top four push, which is exceptional in itself. Um, <laughs> is a bit premature. I think that's a bit jumping the gun a bit. But certainly, if he's given the right resources and right time, I don't see it over in the next two or three years why we can't push on further because he's doing everything right at the moment. And just before we move on, because we're going to have to talk about someone else, unfortunately, Tom. But you've talked about Rice and Antonio. Now, the the player yeah. that impressed me the most yesterday was Ben Rama. I really yeah. do think he's coming into the league more. Which, like when you talked about Moises. Um, recruitment being so good which of the players do you think have like have almost been the best signings that he's brought in um that's a hard one um i'd probably say two checks probably been his Mm -hmm. best signing um just because of how consistent he was last season the goals he got but i mean you you, you could you could really roll the dice between two check bowen ben rama Mm -hmm. Um, even i mean zuma i mean he's still early days in his in his um, west ham career and he signed him in the summer but he's been absolutely mm-hmm. incredible for us so far. He's been, I'd probably argue, one of the best signings in the Premier League this season. Yeah, he's been absolutely brilliant. So um, he's not put since in his second spell, he's not put a foot wrong transfer right. So it's really mm-hmm. hard to uh, to pick one. But if I'd probably go Sujek if I had to choose. Nice. Yeah, Ben Rama's been amazing. But the thing is with Ben Rama, he's we've got a few players that could come in and replace Ben Rama or play that position or do it. Whereas Rice or Antonio, we don't really have anybody that can do the jobs they do for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're the two we need to keep to wrap up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. definitely. So right after yeah. this kind, this is kind of unprecedented for the pod. Right after I predicted that Liverpool would win the Premier mm-hmm. League, there you go. First loss of the season. Rory, I'm going to ask you very quickly before we move on to the other games. Where does this defeat leave Liverpool? Um, what? Who was at fault? If anybody was at fault, because 
I watched the extended highlights and it looked like a pretty hard fought game. And in the end, it could have, I felt like it could have ended kind of both ways. N no results would have been uh, wrong, in my opinion. But Liverpool, we talked about them. They're super informed. They're one of the most informed teams in Europe. What does this defeat mean for them? Well, it's, it's weird because they drew at home to Brighton and now they've lost to West Ham. Like, they're having a little bit of a wobble. And right. for me, it just seemed like their defence, like, West Ham could break through their midfield so easily. There was a moment when Van Dijk was just, like, staring at the rest of the team, like, where are you guys? I need your help. He was, like, shouting. It was like he was the only guy there and it just felt like their defence was so easy to walk through. When they brought on Thiago, I think it made very little difference to the game and I think it probably gave West Ham a bit more space. I think they just seemed a bit disorganised and West Ham were there to take advantage. <laughs> yeah. I think Alisson making Alisson should have done better for two of our goals. Really, he should have the first and the third, first and the second goal. Certainly, where he was directly culpable for, I'd say. And if your keeper's letting in two goals, he shouldn't do. You're never going to have much. It's, yeah, it's but that goes also. Cast. That is also to praise West Ham's like uh, schemes, yeah. I guess, or tactics uh, from uh, yeah. set pieces because yeah. it doesn't happen often that you see Allison like go like leave his line at the wrong time or like yeah, yeah. being caught off off the line like that. So that is also praise, I think, to yeah. West Ham's uh, attack. Yeah. Do you, do you think Rory this uh, international break can be beneficial for Liverpool? Yeah, I think it's going to be beneficial for a lot of teams, right? A nice break to take a take a step back and see what's going on. I think um look, Liverpool have got Arsenal at home after this, so I'm sure they'll feel pretty confident going into that one. I think Klopp just needs a minute to maybe calm down, look at the team and see what he can do better. I think it's timed well for them as I said with a bit of a wobble with Brighton and West Ham, but They'll be fine. We know they'll be fine. What a nice little segue, Rory. I know you don't want to talk too much about this team from North London because you don't want to jinx it. But are you sure that Klopp is looking at that fixture with a smile on his face? Because if Arsenal were to win that game, that would mean <laughs> that they would overtake Liverpool in the standings and they would have one point more than them. So Arsenal undefeated in a bunch of games, four consecutive Premier League wins, Rory, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Tom. Title challenge? Because you mentioned <laughs> it last night during the intergame. <laughs> um, title challenge? No, not quite. Um, look, <laughs> Come on. We, we have had a very like comfortable run of games. So we've played teams like Norwich, Watford. We've played teams we're expected to beat. The Tottenham result was fantastic. The Leicester result was fantastic. But after the international break, this is when the test really starts. Because we've got Liverpool, then we've got United... Look, with the team, we're seeing a lot of progress. We're seeing a lot of, like, I keep using the phrase green shoots, right? We're seeing the, the beginnings. There's still going to be wobbles, but we're playing really nice stuff, and I can see what Arteta is trying to do. It's a nice place to be. But unfortunately, I've got PTSD from many traumatic trips to Anfield over the last couple of years where we've been 3-0 down, 4-0 down in 20 minutes. So I'm definitely not getting my hopes up. But... I do think it will be more competitive than we've been at Anfield for a while. I think we will give them a game. I think we will be in it until the end. Touch wood, right? Um, yeah, we're doing all right. It's a good place to be. Emil Smith-Rowe called up by England. Fully deserved. Well happy with that. Um, and yeah, things are going well. Um, hopefully Arteta can keep it going. And we're kind of like Tom said about Rice and Antonio being so key for West Ham. If they disappear, then maybe they'll struggle. With Arsenal, our entire first 11, if any of them go, we don't have any real cover. So it's like we can't have any injuries, really. So, But yeah, one one thing that I, besides the, the, the squad depth that might not be the, the best one in the league, damn, Rory's frozen for good. It's like a nice man. Um, He's not just, back from that, is he? Let's just have a chat with you, Tom. No, I was just thinking that uh, I think it's you don't see it often in modern football that a manager, well, if you take away the Oli scenario, which is unprecedented in world football, but you don't see it very often in uh, in world in modern football, Rory, that a manager is given a chance after such a poor start to the season and I feel like uh, the the Arsenal board were very patient with Arteta and they really really believed in him at times when maybe the fans were starting to lose faith in him what do you feel like Rory 
Yeah, well, they made it very clear that there was going to be no change. Kind of like United are doing with Oli, right? They were very, very That's clear that there's going to be that. no change at the top. Um, That's like ludicrous, though, what's going on with Oli. We'll talk about it, but it's yeah. long may it continue. That's all I'm going to say. But I think it's very board... difficult, though, isn't it, sometimes with those sort of situations with managers because it's difficult to make judgment as fans because you don't see what the players see and what mm-hmm. the kind of owners perhaps see. Because I think there's sometimes you can see that you can see even during a bad run of results that the players are still kind of working for the manager. They're still following his tactics. And then sometimes you can even see in when people are winning or doing a little bit better, the players aren't really pulling in the same direction. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of see it was already on the decline. So it's looking at results. Obviously, results are the most important thing. But looking at that and nothing else, it does kind of give you a bit of a false view sometimes with the manager because it all comes down to the, the old cliche about has he still got the dressing room behind mm-hmm. him? If, if he hasn't, even if the results are okay now, they're going to go down eventually. Whereas if the results aren't great now, but you feel like the players are all playing for him, he's bringing in the right players and things are improving slowly, then it's worth sticking with him. And a lot of the time, the only people that really see that are people that are directly involved in the club. So it's, it's always a bit tricky to base it purely on results, I think. And they know, go for it. No, I I think that's absolutely fair. I think that's absolutely fair. And I think the Arsenal board always made it clear they were going to stick with Arteta, this whole trust the process thing. Mm. You could see that the play, you can see the players look, the players do like him. The players do like the football they're playing. They are, we can see an increase in kind of commitment, even if Obers comes and goes every so often, the rest of the squad are fairly fully committed. So I think you can see that they are all behind him. And, um, I love this. Like we've got the youngest squad in the Premier League. Like I, I love this seeing the young players and the progress I really am enjoying. So I'm glad that the board stuck with him, even though I will admit after the Man City game, I was thinking, right, does this guy need to go now? Because that was pretty horrific to watch. But since then, it's been it's been really, really good. No complaints. Keep it going, Mikel. If we can get top four, that would be fantastic. That would be fantastic. Rory, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and uh, I'm going to take you to the future very quickly. We are traveling all the way to the 12th of February, 2022. Chelsea take on Arsenal at Stamford Bridge. What if I read you Arsenal's future lineup? Do you think it's going to be likely? Saka, Lacazette and Smith-Rowe behind Dusan Vlaovic. There are rumors about the Serbian possibly making a move from Fiorentina all the way to London. Do you see this happening, Rory? Is this realistic or is this just talks? Um, I think his agent is using us to wake up the in quote bigger teams. <laughs> um, it's apparently we've had an offer accepted, but he's been fairly open in saying he wants to go to a bigger team. So unlucky Tottenham, you're definitely not getting him if we're not getting him. Um, but it would be nice. It's nice to dream, right? Duzan in an Arsenal shirt. I think it's more likely we go for Isaac at Sociedad. I think he's a more kind of realistic target and one I'd be very happy with. But hey, if we got Vlavic, then I'm fully signed up number one member of the Arteta fan club because Jesus Christ, that would be an incredible signing. But look, I think, and I don't know if Tom agrees with me or not, but Arsenal are a household name in the Premier League. They've struggled over the past few seasons, big time. They've become, at some points, kind of the joke of the league even. But at some point, their reputation will need to be restored. And I think that there will be a moment when a big, big name decides to make the move and kind of starts the trend of rebuilding Arsenal. So, well, about Vlaovic, it's not even sure he's going to actually leave in January. By the way, all these news come after Tommaso predicted that he's going to be Serie A's top goal scorer. <laughs> but uh, I think that there is a moment is going to come when big names are going to start going back to Arsenal and acknowledging that maybe that's the team where to go and you could become, you could make history in sort of like uh, rebuilding the reputation of such a big club. Yeah, I, I think you're only going to get those sort of players when they see kind of progress, right? And they see mm-hmm. kind of, see things moving in the right direction they're not going to sign if Arsenal are kind of languishing in mid-table like they have been the last couple of seasons and like, there's a lot of infighting there's no real system there's no real kind of identity but it, it does appear that they are slowly getting that back now so I, th- I think they'll probably need to get back into Europe before they start mm-hmm. being able to sign players of that calibre but that, that looks like it'll happen whether it's the Europa League or the Champions League um so that, so, but they they just need to start showing kind of like like progress, like I say, and and, and be an attractive proposition to one of those big players because, at the well, in the previous two or three seasons, they've not really been 
a club that some a player that could probably take his pick from any club in Europe would want to sign for. Mm-hmm. They'll always be able to sign good players because they're a big club, they've got lots of money and everything else. But to get those elite level players at that particular time in their career, Arsenal haven't done that. Arsenal really haven't really done that in the last, what, 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, possible upset, possible exceptions like Ozil, Aubameyang, Sanchez. Sanchez, yeah. Sanchez, yeah. Um, but that's not... If, if Arsenal want to be back where they were before, winning leagues and competing in the back end of the Champions League, you need to be signing those sort of players kind of season in, season out. And that's where mm-hmm. Arsenal need to get to. And they need to make sure this upwards trajectory they're on now is is kind of sustained. And hopefully... Arteta has a bit more bang than Oli because Oli's kind of done similar with United. He's got them to a point and then he's kind of gotten, he can't go any further. So that's what they'll be looking to do is kind of make sure they keep pushing on further because a player like that, he's not going to want to sign for a team that's maybe going to get in the top four, maybe not. Mm-hmm. He's going to want a team that's kind of up there fighting for the title every season. Well, certainly if he's got anything about him, that's what he wants. Yeah. And Tom, nice little segue. Rory, I let you go. Manchester United nil. Manchester United, Manchester City two. Manchester United had more shots against their own target than against the opposition. And they think that that stat sums it all up. Bring it home, Rory. What happened at Old Trafford again? Honestly, I think this was more embarrassing than losing 5-0 at home. Um, the fact that City was so comfortable. I think Oli now has 21% of of United's losses at Old Trafford in the Premier League or under yeah. his reign. Um, yeah, like you said, they had more shots at their own keeper than at Man City's. Um, I think it was Kevin De Bruyne created more chances than the entire United team. Rodri had more passes than the entire year. That, like, it was just a complete domination from beginning to end. And United just look rudderless. Like, it is... I think I've seen um, Andy McBride, friend of the show, said it feels like every team in the Premier League is playing better football than them at the moment. And I think that's not a bad summation of them. Like, it really was... Like, do you remember when City beat United 6-1? That was like the power shift, right? That was the moment when City were like, we're here. Now it feels like City are just a galaxy away from where United are. Uh, what did you make of it, Tom? Um, yeah, I, I just think they've just... They just seem to be bereft of confidence and there's no kind of tactical plan when they go on the pitch. He just kind of seems to think he can just pick the... Because they've got a very talented squad. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he seems to just think that he can just kind of put them on the pitch and they'll just kind of win him games. And they, they might do that against kind of the bottom half teams, but against teams that are kind of like City and Liverpool, they, they, I mean, they'll, they'll just run rings around and, mm-hmm. and they have done. Um, so he just seems to be tactically behind everybody else, and he seems not. He can't adapt over time because he's gone on good runs, and then when teams have figured him out, he's had no, he's had no answer, and he really struggles to impact games during the game as well. He can't make change in the game which have a positive impact. So it does feel like his, his, his time's up, and I think he probably needs to go sooner rather than later. Otherwise, he'll he'll really start tarnishing his re- reputation. But it doesn't sound like they're planning to make a move anytime soon. Yeah, that's the thing. It feels like they're they keep on kind of repeating, like Oli's kind of going to stay at United. Yeah. He's, well, he's done this two or three times now, hasn't he? He's gone through mm. really bad runs, and then just when he appears on the brink, he pulls like a really good run of results out, but then it never really lasts long enough for it to be anything of note. But He's, I think he's done a good job there to a point because I think the position they were in when Mourinho left, they were it was not it wasn't a good position and the, the whole atmosphere around the club seems to be quite negative. And just being a club legend, and you think I think he's kind of galvanised the players. He's got a bit more out of certain players and got them to a point, but he's definitely reached reached his limit. I think I don't think he's a talented enough coach or man manager to get them any further than top four every potentially every season it looks like they might miss out on that this year so but if they do stick with him and it seems like they are going to stick with him Mm. where do you think the season goes for like how do the players react to the rest of the season now because if you've been like routinely kind of beaten at home and Mm. you're the kind of laughing stock a little bit how can ollie turn this around because it looks like he's going to be back in the job for the rest of the season mm. I think they'll pull a re- I think they'll turn it around eventually to a point and they'll pull put a run of results together and they'll finish in a reasonably high position whether that's fourth fifth sixth mm. I don't know but they, they will they've got they've got the players to do it but anybody who's 
probably anybody could go in in with that squad and finish in the top six, top mm. eight. And that that's not what. Well, that's not Manchester United are arguably the biggest club or team in the world, so they need yeah. to be pushing for the title, pushing for the Champions League every season. Otherwise, it otherwise it's just not good enough for them. And Ollie's never going to get them to that point. Um, and he's been backed in the transfer window. He's bought in players. Why they didn't prioritise a defensive midfielder in the in the summer is is baffling, really, isn't mm-hmm. it? Why? Because that that's the missing piece, really. If they had yeah. that and a tactically competent manager, <laughs> then they would be <laughs> they would be where they would be comfortably. I think I think they'd be pushing for the title. To be honest, yeah. there's only kind of two bits that jigsaw. If you look in every other position on the pitch, they've got world class players in pretty much every one. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just so just, it's it's yeah. bes- uh, besides being uh, United's fourth loss in the Premier League this season, it's also a very important win for Manchester City as they mm-hmm. cut the lead, uh, Chelsea's lead down to three points since Chelsea dropped the points at Burnley. Uh, Vidra drew the game at the 79th minute. Uh, what if you, I kind of removed completely from my life the name Romelu Lukaku? I don't follow him on Instagram anymore. I don't type his name on Google anymore. Um, what is going on? He's still injured, right? He hasn't played in a few games. Yeah. And even before that, he wasn't really scoring. Yeah, so well, we knew last season Chelsea had... Uh, Chelsea obviously had, had a lot of attacking players, but they struggled for that focal point, didn't they? And that's why they signed Lukaku. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's obviously become apparent as soon as he's out of the team that they really struggle to kind of create chances in certain mm-hmm. situations. And, and Burnley, they had a very slow start to the season, but they've the last kind of three or four games, I think they've really kind of started to turn some of their positive performances. I don't think they've been bad really all no. season. They've just struggled to score goals and they've let have made a few mistakes. But they've started to look like a, a good, solid team now, as you'd expect from the Sean Dyche. And they're, they're not an easy team just to, to walk over at home or away now because they, they seem to have their tails up a little bit. And uh, and Arsenal and Chelsea really should have put that game to bed kind of well before um, they, they, they considered an equaliser. But they just didn't have that. I mean, if Lukaku was on the pitch, I mean, you never know for sure. But I think it would have been kind of 2 3 4 nil up. And they would have been comfortable. Yeah, it was absolutely one-way traffic for the entire game until Burnley got that equaliser. But yeah, I think Lukaku went seven games without scoring before he was injured, so he's definitely yeah. not been in form. And yeah, Chelsea do struggle to to finish their chances. So great result for Burnley. Chelsea, a bit of a slip-up. And yeah, Man City, as ever, there to take advantage. And City do look scary again. They do really look scary. Mm-hmm. Um, Rodri is a player that's finally getting a bit of plaudits as well, um, thankfully. Um, but yeah, like we said, I think we said it last pod, Tommy, there's always players that take periods to kind of be the headline player. And I think this is Rodri's yeah. moment to be in the headlines. Yeah, um, he's, a, he's, a ve- he's a perfect player for that system, isn't he? Because he kind of like, he just controls the tempo of a game. Mm-hmm. He passes... He makes a ridiculous amount of passes every game. He he, he just completely dictates the play, and he's quite good in, the, in in tackles. And he kind of moves the ball on, kind of moves it forward very quickly. And he's, he's that's why they signed him. He's doing the job that they signed him for, right? And he's he's kind of coming to the fore a little bit more since um, obviously David Silva left a couple of seasons ago. Mm-hmm. I think he's, he's kind of assumed that role, although he does sit a little bit deeper than Silva did. And Cancelo, yet another mm. assist. Rory, oh, that cross the... as well. That cross was beautiful, was but I don't know what Luke Shaw was doing. I have no idea what Luke Shaw was doing. But I know, Rory, you will want to talk about a few more games, starting from Crystal Palace 2, Wolves nil. former uh, Arsenal legend Patrick Vieira, having a great start to management in the Premier League, right? Yeah, I just wanted to very quickly say, unbeaten in eight games, beating Wolves 2-0. I am loving seeing the scenes down at Selhurst Park. The atmosphere there always looks incredible. And it's good to see them playing positive, attacking, aggressive football. Vieira's doing a really good job. I just wanted to give him his props because, you know, he deserves it. Their last loss came on September 18th against Liverpool, which is pretty understandable. And after that, uh, since then, four consecutive draws, including against Leicester and Arsenal, and then two wins, one against Manchester City and the other one this very weekend against Wolves. Good luck, Patrick. It looks like things are, are, are heating up. Absolutely. And just 
as the international break, before we move on to Serie A, as the international break hits, sacking season has begun. A quarter of the fa- a quarter of the managers in the Premier League have now been sacked. And this weekend, this week, it was the turn of Daniel Farker at Norwich, despite getting his first win, is booted out the door. And I think we all saw this come in. Dean Smith has been sacked as manager of Aston Villa. <laughs> and he's gone again. We, Sorry, Rory, repeat that you froze for a second. Um, my internet's terrible. Um, the rumours are that um, Villa are going for the Denmark manager, which I think is a really interesting move. Um, and Norwich are apparently in talks with Frank Lampard. So make of that what you will. I don't think the Denmark manager is going anywhere before taking this team to the World Cup next yeah, year. Yeah, it's weird, right? But um, uh, before we move on to Serie A, uh, because uh, Tom will have to leave us because he actually plays football tonight, uh, I wanted to I ask you guys. To. I attempt to. <laughs> you attempt to. Well, that's what everybody tries to. Um, you guys are going to watch uh, West Ham in Vienna in two weeks' time, correct? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, we've got, um, obviously, West Ham are um, in Europe properly for the first time in about 20-odd years. I mean, they've been in the qualifying rounds a few times and then not managed to get through to the groups um, in the last about, like 10 years. But this is the first time they've been properly in Europe, certainly in my lifetime. So I kind of figured it might never happen again, although it was looking like it might do next season. But I wanted to make sure I got to at least one away game and I kind of picked Vienna as one of the group games that we're going to go to. And then Rory, uh, Rory's coming along as well. So we're going to make a weekend of it in, in Vienna, which will be good. Although we are going to be sat with the home fans in Vienna because I couldn't get anywhere near a ticket in the um, in the away end, unfortunately. So we're going to be taking a bit of a risk in, in there. But um, judging by Twitter and the Facebook ticket groups I'm in, we're not going to be alone, that's for sure. There's going to be plenty of other West Ham fans invading the home end. So we'll see how that goes. It should be good. I am crazy excited and I am going to take the Arsenal cover off my phone. I am getting yeah. a different phone cover so that I can go full undercover I'd around the West that. Ham fans. But I'm pretty excited. It's going to be great. A European away day. I can't wait. Yeah, it's going to be quality. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I can't. If you told me this was good, I'd be able to do this two years ago, I would never have believed you. So it's, uh, it's incredible that we'd be able to do it. And looks like we're going to qualify. We've already qualified. Um, it's just whether we qualify first or second. So I'm really excited to see who we get in there knockout rounds as well so uh, that, that should be another good away day hopefully as long as it's not in like Kazakhstan or something <laughs> <laughs> and that will be imagine what a nice little segue that will be for Rory only four days after being officially back in the San Siro Curva to watch Inter Napoli so Rory in two days in four days you get to see Inter Napoli and then Rapid VN West Ham that's going to be quite a week for you I can't wait. I genuinely can't wait. This is like my dream, traveling around Europe watching football games. Yes, please. (laughs) The only thing that we needed to add to the dream is getting paid to do so, right? (laughs) Any sponsors out there? We're waiting. Any sponsors? We're waiting. Oh, yeah. Talking about sponsors, we haven't talked about our sponsor at Tidoon Sports Club Maps. You can find them on Twitter and Instagram. And guys, we're working on it. Giveaways are going to be back soon. It's coming. But we were talking about Serie A, and again, I kind of wanted to go back to the predictions that I had on the Friday episode. So I said Vlaovic, top goal scorer, and now there are rumors of him being sold in uh, in January. And then I said that Genoa, definitely going to be relegated. Genoa now have a different ownership. It's not the Preziosi ownership that would sack a manager and rehire him at the end of the season. This ownership is kind of making a statement, and they've just brought in, ladies and gentlemen, Serie A legend, Andriy Shevchenko. Man, I'm excited about this. This feels like a statement from Genoa and the new ownership. Like, we're not fucking going anywhere. We're going to stay in Serie A, and this manager better, like, turn the faith of the team around. What do you think about the appointment, Rory? I think it's a really exciting appointment. We've seen him do a really good job with Ukraine at the tournaments they've been at. They've been a very difficult team to beat. They've been very, like, you know, structured, disciplined. I think coming into a club like Genoa in the situation that they're in at the moment, I think he could come in and just really just make them more solid, make them harder to beat. And I think just for the players to be around that name and someone who's achieved that much in the game, it could be the boost that they need, right? Um, And I think... I'm just crazy excited to see Andre back in Serie A. I'm just crazy excited for it. 
Man, he's he's a player that gets mad respect for from everybody in Serie A. Mm. Like even the opposite, even the Inter fans, it's not like they're gonna clap him when he gets to the San Siro. But there is a lot of respect. He scored in so many derbies; it's insane. <laughs> I think he's got like a derby record. Um, but no, I think it's a great appointment. And there are rumors, but then I think the media are going crazy about uh, possible like loans to Genoa players from very good teams that are not quite finding room. I read about Pulisic to Genoa on loan until the end of the season. I don't know. But if I, I was thinking about it, if I was a player, I know that I'm going to go back to Chelsea. That could be a fun experience. Like you move from like a team that is kind of like pushing for the title in England and you go rescue another team from Serie B. That would be kind of exciting, I think. Pulisic would be a hell of a loan signing. <laughs> My God, that would be a hell of a coup, no? Like, yeah, well, but, but I, then you get to play with Mattia Destro. Everyone wants to play with Destro, man. Right. <laughs> Everybody wants to play with him. Yeah, I might have won the Champions League, but my greatest <laughs> achievement was playing alongside Mattia Destro. Um, Genoa, this weekend, they drew. I'm taking it way, I'm taking it from far away to get all the way to the Derby. Genoa drew 2 2 against Empoli on uh, Friday night. I said that Genoa are getting a lot of penalties and they get yet another one. Their captain, Domenico Criscito, hasn't failed yet from the spot this season. Great news for me, since he's my, in my fantasy football team. On Saturday, we had the Spezia Torino. Torino, we've thoroughly covered them. They're one of the most uh, good-looking teams in Serie A. I wouldn't say in form, but most good-looking teams in Serie A. However, they pick up a loss against Spezia. Very important points uh, for Spezia. They're now on 11, two points above uh, Genoa and Sampdoria, who is currently in the relegation zone. And on the same day, we had a very annoying game. Juventus won, Fiorentina nil. Rory, I know you watched it. What happened there? That fucking sucks. I fell asleep. That was a terrible, terrible game. <laughs> it was an awful game. Juventus, we've, we've said it before. I'm going to say it again. They are the most boring team in the league. They are wasting the talent that they have in that team. I spent a lot of money on Chiesa Allegri, and you are single-handedly ruining my fantasy season. I've had enough. That game was terrible. Like, terrible. They just... for. Like we know Fiorentina are a decent team, but for at home, your only ambition is to ruin the other is to ruin the opposition's game. I just think it's really, yeah, unambitious, uninspiring. And I think maybe we've talked about it as well. Allegri hasn't really learned much from the last time he was in football, and it's just exactly the same all over again. But maybe Juve will win what he did, doing yeah. the same things, right? Yeah, and he seems to be, he seems to always like get, I don't know, get a hard on from winning 1 0 at the death of time. He was all smiles and giggles in the press conference room. It was like they, they asked him about the game. They were like, don't you think Juventus fans want to also see a team that is playing good football? And it was like, well, ask the Juventus fans if they're happy with the three points tonight. And he burst out laughing. And I'm just like, Wow, this is really what you guys have become. Nice, winning 1-0 at the 93rd minute, thanks to fucking Juan Cuadrado. Fiorentina did have quite a few chances too. They didn't manage to convert uh, to convert them. I saw a very big chance with Saponara, kind of a difficult ball to keep down, uh, went over the crossbar. Chiesa hit the crossbar, I believe, towards the end of the second half. But besides that, yeah, Juventus didn't have much drive to win that game. It felt like. However, they still won. This is their fifth win in Serie A this season. They're on 18 points, on even points with Fiorentina. Only one below Roma in the conference league area of the standings. Atalanta win. Tommy, Tommy, I'm going to have to cut you off very quickly because I think Tom needs to go. You need to yes. go, right? I'll love you and leave you, guys. Thank right. you very much Tom, for having thanks me. Thanks for coming on. Always a pleasure. And you need to score a hat trick now, right? Yes, yeah. I will. I'll report yeah. in. <laughs> and when you and you will lift your kit and it says the Anglo-Italian pod below. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Thank got Ogbonna yeah. on the back as well. <laughs> hey, good luck to West Ham and thank you so much for joining us, Tom. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Pleasure see as always. Later, Anytime. Bye-bye. Sorry, Tommy, I had to cut you off there. I could see you was waiting to go. Yeah, no, I was looking at the results on my phone. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Atalanta win 
2-1 uh, against Cagliari, yet another assist from Davide Zappacosta. Now, I don't know why sometimes I want to change my fantasy football lineup and take him away from the starters. But man, he's on one. He's really come back and really substituting mm-hmm. uh, either other boy or Gozens is no easy task for anybody. He's already got three Serie A assists this season, one goal. He's a starter. He's doing great. The thing that kind of Zapata in great form, he's the he's the winning goal scorer. He's already on seven goals in 10 games and two assists this season. What kind of uh, uh, is interesting about this game is that uh, Gasperini, despite having Luis Muriel on the bench, decided not to play him for the second consecutive game. In the press conference after the game, he said everything is fine with the player. We just have a history of players coming back from injuries and underperforming. Mm -hmm. We think we have learned from our mistakes. And now, rather than playing him and then kind of assessing how bad of a performance he did, we're just going to wait until he's fully fit and then he's going to play again. And I thought that was that was very good from Gasperini to be so honest about it. Yeah, it's good to see him being up front. And also, we know, like, for the Atalanta system and the way they play, you need to be fully fit. You can't be a passenger in it. We talked about it with the United game, right? The fact the intensity dropped off and he wasn't able to press, it does make the rest of the team suffer a lot. So I feel like, yeah, it's good to see the up front and it's good to see them kind of making a realisation, I suppose. But Zappa Costa's a weird one. I thought after Chelsea, I thought his career was kind of done, honestly. I thought he very rarely played for Chelsea, and I thought, oh, maybe he's just going to peter out. But it's good to see him having, like, a revival, like a big revival as well. He, had it, he already had a very good half a season, I believe, at Genoa mm-hmm. last year. And now at Atalanta, it's his old club, and it feels like he's fitting in perfectly. Moving on to Sunday. Oh, my God. Now, Rory, this is something that I love doing. I don't know if it's big in England or not, but when, when I was younger in Italy, it was kind of big to listen to the games on the radio because a lot of people okay. didn't have pay-per-view and all that. And they listened to the majority of Venezia Roma on the radio. And as I was driving in my car, I was just like... How many times will Roma manage to shit the bed? They shit it once again. And they are on terrible form. They've won only two of their last eight games. They've won only against Cagliari on October 27th and against Empoli on October 3rd. And then it's also always been losses, two draws, but definitely something is working. Do you think Mourinho's time is limited at AS Roma? I think this cycle of his keeps getting quicker and quicker and quicker, right? right. Like the kind of the the optimism, the fallout, the depression, and then he starts looking like he's living in his car again. And he's already kind of getting to that point where he looks a bit disheveled, looks unshaved. And I think it really is like, yeah, he's becoming a parody of himself, right? <laughs> he really is becoming a parody of himself. And for Roma, they just look all over the place. Um but Venezia, fair play, really properly making a stab at staying up. Buzio, absolutely killing it. Um, Ethan Ampadu on loan, having a great time. Um, they got some really good players in that squad and look like they're putting some building blocks in for the future. So exciting times down at Venice. Uh, Roma, if they get top eight this year, they'll do well. Honestly, I think they really are going to struggle. We shall see if Mourinho stays in charge much longer. Uh, for me, I know uh, Steve Cole is writing on the chat to see Mourinho angry is hilarious. I, man, I don't like it. It's just like, it's like seeing a, an idol that he grew up with. Like, I don't know. It's like for my mom, my mom was in love with Robert Plant from Led Zeppelin. You know, okay. singer, long blonde hair, always shirtless. And right now he's he still does concerts and everything. My mom went seeing him a few years ago. And she was just like, it was so sad. It's like this fat old man who's drunk too much beer. Still a great singer, but kind of sad. Mourinho does not even have that. Like he's starting, it's the cycle, as you said. Mm-hmm. It just keeps getting quicker, quicker, quicker. It's it's happening quicker than it happened at Tottenham. And they think that it could have been doing much better. Um, maybe this international break will be useful for them. They're kind of unlucky with injuries. They always have people injured but also they cannot keep a lead they keep uh they also have a lot of bad luck though Tammy they keep abraham. it in the post they keep yeah. it in the post tammy abraham again hitting the post Mourinho not even protesting anymore from the sideline he was just sitting there the entire game just like not smiling not angry i don't think he even got up to make the subs i think it was his assistant but 
I don't know. It's not looking good at Roma. They are now on sixth place, two points behind Lazio and only one point above Fiorentina and Juventus. Then we have Bologna picking up a clutch win against the Sampdoria thanks to Arnautovic, who is having a very good season in Serie A. Um, didn't he have a good reputation at West Ham? Uh, very good player, absolute pain in the arse. I think that's basically the, the summary of Arnautovic. Incredible player, but pisses everyone off while he does it. So I think he always has like a good spell and then things go sour. But it's good. I like him as a player. He is absolute box office. He really is entertaining. Great player, strong, skillful, can hit a ball. Like really, really great player. And also... I really like that he has the Champions League. Does he have a Champions League tattoo or something, despite the fact he never played for in that Inter run? He, I'm well, pretty sure I he has a tattoo or maybe he has I, boots. I can't remember. I have no idea, man, but he will forever be an Inter legend. I will never forget him arresting the starters for Inter Milan after the semifinal against Barcelona. They're in the tunnels of the Camp Nou in Barcelona. And he keeps popping up behind the players, like singing. And at a point, Michael turns around and generally tries to swing at his face. And Arnautovic goes away and he's like, are you crazy? And Michael is like, I told you, it's too much. Let me do the interview. The <laughs> but forever, an inter legend. On Sunday, we also had Udinese 3, Sassuolo 2. Udinese's first win in a very long time, despite deserving much more. They finally pick up the win. Lazio win the Lotito Derby 3-0 against the Salernitana. And then we get to the table. Finally. Napoli and AC Milan, both halted by a draw. Let's start from Napoli. Verona are starting to become... How would you describe them, Rory? They're a bogey team. A bogey they're team. bogey team. Yeah. There you go. So last year, they're the team that with a 1-1 draw prevented Napoli from going to the Champions League. And now, again, with a 1-1 draw, they prevent Napoli from taking the solitary lead of the Serie A table. I did not watch this game. The goals came from Simeone. Again, seventh goal in three consecutive <laughs> games. Seventh goal in three consecutive games. You heard that right. Um, and then Di Lorenzo drew it for Napoli. Ozyman looks constantly very lively. He mm -hmm. hit the post with an impossible 180 spin at some point in the game. But Napoli were not able to close it out, despite Verona playing with only nine men in the last five minutes of the game. And then I made it on purpose, the last game to discuss, because I didn't want to talk about it too much. Inter Milan, AC Milan, actually AC Milan, Inter 1-1, nothing changes. Inter is still trailing by seven. Rory, I let you go first. We were together. Maybe one too many beers were had last night, but what did you make of the game? Um, yeah, today has been a difficult Monday. Um, I think the first half was absolute chaos. The first half was all over the place. Penalties given, like just up and down mental. And then the second half was like, a chess game. It was really intriguing. Both teams kind of calmed down. They were trying to figure each other out. I think um, overall, I think Inter probably had the better of it. And I think Milan were semi-lucky to get, get away with a point. But at the end, both teams had chances to win. I think Kessier missed a really easy chance. I think mm -hmm. Inter missed yeah, a few goal. chances. Yep. Um, so I think it was really even, but I think on balance, Inter probably deserved it, but I really enjoyed it. Great game. Milan derbies very rarely disappoint. I feel like they're always pretty entertaining. I feel like uh, it's not always like that. Uh, we've been lucky in the recent years, but there have been a lot of boring AC Milan derbies where like the teams were studying each other for too long. This was a hard-fought game. Now, I just want to address AC Milan fans very quickly that say, Oh, but last night's team was not really AC Milan because Mike Magnano wasn't playing and Theo Hernandez oh. was disqualified. Right. I am pretty sure they were wearing a black and red kit. Fuck you. That was AC Milan. Let's move on. Also, Sorry. also, also, that's very harsh on them because that keeper made a bloody good save from a penalty and has been very good since he came in. He's been very good since he came in. A hundred percent agreed. I just, after the game, I just, you, so we were with some French friends of mine. Believe it or not, I have friends from France. Uh, after the game, Rory went back home. We went to the pizzeria. I was smoking a cigarette before entering the pizzeria, and they received so much abuse from AC Milan fans. I was just like, I, 
have we watched two different games? Mm. They were just like, you are lucky we scored only one. And I was like, we even scored that one. What the fuck are you talking about? It was an old goal <laughs> from yeah. Stefan de Vrij. So the, my takeaways from this game are the following. I'll start from Inter Milan. Number one, I'm pissed off. Guys, we've fucking lost four points now because of unclear, uh, of not, of the penalty taker not being clear. Mm-hmm. So Kanyanolu takes the penalty. Be brilliant shithousery towards AC Milan fans. Don't come to me telling me that he's a shitty man because that's what Ronaldo, the phenomenon, did when he scored in the derby for AC Milan mm-hmm. after owing to Inter Milan the majority of his career. That's what he did. Akan, I loved all about it. But then if he scores the goal, why do you switch the penalty taker to Lautaro, who hasn't scored in a few games? This is the same thing that happened in the game against Atalanta when Di Marco took the penalty and he hit the crossbar. We've lost the four points now. If it wasn't for those four points, I mean, if it was for those four points, we would be below three points from the top of the table. So this is very important. It needs to be addressed. Inter Milan need to be more clinical in front of goal. We had two chances. Barella had an open goal in front of him, and he managed to to, to shoot it where the defender was. Vidal also had a similar chance in the second half. Very low ball, just go high, right under the crossbar. We can score that one. That could have been the winner. About AC Milan, well, and the other thing about Inter Milan... Inter Milan have grown in personality quite a lot. And what I saw in yesterday's game is that Inter Milan are not afraid to to control a game. They have Mm -hmm. what it takes to control the entirety of the game. They did so in the second half. AC Milan looked very scary at the end. Once Ben Nasser came on for Krunic, a lot of AC Milan fans were talking exactly about this. They were like, why didn't Pioli start Ben Nasser from the beginning? He had one chance. And when him and Salimakers got on the pitch, everything started flowing much better. Mm -hmm. About AC Milan, my takeaways are the following. They've grown a whole lot since last season. Because last season, they got to the derby with the same excitement as today, but then they collapsed the 3-0 with that, in that famous game where Lukaku scored and decided he was the king, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they've grown quite a lot, but at the same time, they didn't look like the most dominant team in Italy. If we're seven points behind, you kind of want to kind of show who's boss, right? And they never really showed that until the very, fine, the, the very ending minutes of the game. My final takeaway is that Inter Milan and AC Milan are going to fight for the title until the very last match day. It is to be seen what Napoli will do against the, the against Inter, against AC Milan. They've only played so far. The big teams they've played are Juventus, but it was on the fourth match day. Juventus had just lost against the Empoli. They were in complete shambles. I don't know how it would go now. They drew nil-nil against Roma. Now, once the international break is over, the first game on is Inter against the Napoli. And we shall see what how that game goes. If Inter win it, they'll consolidate their position. But I think it's important also for Inter Milan to finally win an important game. A draw against Roma. Uh, sorry, a draw against Juventus. A draw against AC Milan. A loss against the Lazio, it's time to beat the top teams in Italy if we want to make a statement in Serie A this season. Um, that's more or less how... Those are my takeaways. What are yours, Rory? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's going to be um, it's going to be a title race right to the end. I think this was Milan's chance to kind of almost put it to bed. Not completely, but to yeah make a statement. They've missed it. I think Inter are going to be much more encouraged by this result than Milan will be. Um and yeah, we've kind of made it clear that we think Napoli, we hope they can stay in it, but we kind of expect them to bottle it at some point, unfortunately. And yeah, in Z- we've underlined thoroughly that we don't think Inzaghi is the best at making substitutions. Um, yeah, last night was kind of the same thing as always. But we're growing slowly but steadily. I'll just say this, when... And if you're honest, you will probably admit the same, that once the news came that Conte was leaving, Hakimi was leaving, Lukaku was leaving, we were all expecting Inter to be doing much, much worse mm-hmm. than they're doing now. So I think, I think just already being seven points below such teams like Napoli and AC Milan this year is already a big achievement. Now it's time to qualify officially for the knockout stage of the Champions League, maybe nibble a few points from AC Milan and Napoli, and then, and it's very important to win the first game back after the break mm-hmm. against Napoli. 
But yeah, I'm excited, and I think our team has matured a lot. Derby is always shitty to draw it when you have so many balls to close the game. When you had that penalty, beautiful save by Tataruzano. Beautiful, beautiful save. Um, again, they need to decide who takes the penalties and have it be one person. That person yeah. takes on the responsibility. With Lukaku and Lautaro, it was very clear. One game, I take the first one. The other game, you take the first one, and then we alternate. That's very yeah. clear. But the, yesterday, again, there were talks for the second penalty. Who's going to take it? Who's not going to take it? And that's going to just be detrimental. One last thing. Bastoni had a killer of a game. I yes. told you at some point, doesn't he look like he's desperately wanting to assist or score a goal? It's all you want to see as an Inter fan. Somebody who tries so hard to score against AC Milan. Well, when your centre-back is, like, cutting back crosses into the box, I was like, Jesus Christ, that's your centre-back. What's he doing? He was, like, marauding across the pitch. Incredible to see. A player that on the pod we've talked about a lot. We are big fans of Bastoni, so it's good to see him having a great season and a great performance in the derby. Like, what a guy. And it's finally international break. We are going to cover all of that on Thursday, which is the day where the majority of international fixtures kick off. Italy have a very big one on Friday night. Make sure you tune in on Friday to listen to our pod. Rory, anything more to tell our listeners? No, I think that's it. Yeah, tune in on Friday. Hope you enjoyed the show, guys. Thanks for joining us. And um, yeah, see you on Friday. See you on Friday and remember to follow our sponsor at Sports Club Maps, both on Twitter and Instagram, and to follow us at Anglo Italian Pod on Instagram and at Italian Anglo Pod on Twitter. Thank you to Valeria Slack Musician, Hopeless Wanderer Podcast, Steve Cole for showing up, and Chris Hamilton. Mm, particularly fitting that you didn't show up today after the West Ham. He's win. there, it's Slack Musician. Here he it's is. It's Slack Musician? Did yeah. Change his name. That's him. Oh, all right, all right, all right, all right. There you go. Talk to you later, guys. It's been a pleasure as always. We'll talk to you on Friday. Bye, guys. <laughs>